everyone. Welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Gabriela Ariana Campoverde, but you can call me Gabby. Our guest today is Ram Palaniapan, founder and CEO of Earnin, which gives people access to their pay directly from their smartphones. No hidden fees, no penalties, no waiting. Just access to your hard-earned cash right when you need it. With features like Balance Shield, which helps you avoid overdraft fees, and Tip Yourself, which helps you build your savings, Earnin is building new solutions that truly work for everyone. If you've listened to one of my episodes before, if there's one thing I love, it's a fintech company building with everyone in mind, and Earnin is definitely one of them. In this episode, you will hear how Ram started Earnin by lending his own money, more on earned wage access, how 66% of users see an increase in their ability to pay their bills, and what Ram thinks the future of crypto could look like. Now, let's get started. Hi, Ram. So great to have you on the show today. How are you doing? Good. Great to be here. Yeah. And where are you calling in from? From Palo Alto. Awesome. How's the weather like? Because I can tell you in Philadelphia, it is horribly cold. <laughs> so it was cold this morning for us, but we shouldn't be complaining given what's happening everywhere else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Super excited to hear more about earning today. Do you mind starting us off with what is the problem that you guys are trying to solve? Yeah, sure. So the big problem is that most people in the US are paid every other week and your bills don't show up every other week. And so we're helping people manage the timing difference between when payday is and when they actually have expenses. It's actually a really fascinating problem because this whole concept of getting paid every other week or getting paid once a month, it wasn't always like this. It started during the Industrial Revolution. And prior to that, people were paid every day. But it was during the Industrial Revolution that the industrialists were so much more powerful that labor had to basically work and then wait for two weeks to get paid. And what that's done is caused a whole bunch of problems for people where like you hear about more than half the country living paycheck to paycheck. They're always waiting for payday. They stop their expenses before payday. Um, and really what we're doing is trying to help people not get stuck in that waiting kind of life cycle. And where if they've worked, they have access to the money that they've already earned. Most definitely. And I, I like the term that you, you had mentioned in our previous conversation, earned wage access. Can you expand a bit more about like how that term came to be and like what exactly that looks like for you guys? Yeah, so it's a very simple concept, which is like if you've worked, you should have money that you've already earned. It's so surprising to me that people don't realize that when you work and you don't get paid immediately, essentially what you're doing is you're working and letting your employer sitting on the money that you've already earned. And it's, work, it's money that you've already earned, and so you should have access to it. And that's basically what we're doing is giving you access to the wages that you've already earned. Yeah. And it, it's really interesting because as a young professional, someone who has worked mostly like corporate jobs, you don't really think about this. I think in my younger, when I was working at an agency, I would wait for every other Friday and it meant a lot more. But for folks who are living paycheck to paycheck, that's where this problem it has quite a profound effect, right? And I'm curious if you can tell us a bit more about how you started working on this idea. Like what motivated you and you know, what did the early days of earning look like? Yeah, sure. So the way it started is quite interesting. It started quite by chance. I found that at the previous company, I found that one of my employees was running into overdraft fees and payday loans. 
And that didn't make any sense to me. Because, and I, I thought I was paying everybody well. When I spoke with her, the problem that she had was she needed money the next day, couldn't wait till the following Friday. And from my point of view, she'd already worked for half of the week, so we should just pay her for the day she already worked for. And I couldn't make our payroll system do that. And so I decided to just do like a manual workaround, and I gave her money from my own account. And that's how it started. I landed up doing this for a handful of my employees for several years. And then I moved over here to California. And the people who I was doing this for wanted to know if I would still do it for them. And I didn't mind doing this because these are people who I'd like, I knew well, I would see them in the office every day. So they were like really like friends. And so it first started off with them messaging me. So it was all on instant messenger. And then at some point, I decided to just make a really simple web form for them to fill up if they needed money instead of messaging me during the day. And then when I had this web page up, then people who I didn't know tried to use it. It's so like that was even more interesting for me. And then I tried to make it work for those people as well. And what I realized was that if you give someone access to their pay when they need it, then their life is much simpler. They're paying all their bills on time, no more late fees, no more payday loans, no more overdraft fees. And that's when I realized that if I didn't try to make it into a product, I'd always feel bad about myself. And so that's how it started. In the beginning, it was just really few people. It was like six of us sitting across one table. This was a concept that at that time, most people thought was impossible to work, to make work. Um, and so that's really what it was. It was six of us trying to do something that most people thought was impossible. Yeah. And how would you describe the culture of your early days? Like like you mentioned, it's such a foreign concept, although it, it's very logical what you guys are doing. How did you meet your founding team and what, what did the early days look like? It was six of us sitting at like one big table. So we knew each other really well. We knew all of our customers really well. Like every time there would be a, a contact from a customer, we would all of us would know what the issue was. Um, and then we also talked to the customers a lot. So we kind of understood what their life situation was. We knew lots of them, what they were going through, what kind of work they did, what they liked. And so we were really close to the customer. So it was, I would say, very customer-centric and very collaborative. And those two things are still part of our culture. And what did your customer acquisition look like? Because I imagine you know you have a clear service that you're providing, but how did folks outside of your network hear about you? And how did your products or your services change throughout the years? So the way we've got customers has changed over time. So we had to like kind of seed it with some set of customers. And so we we did things like even like put up posters at laundromats and things like that. Um, so it was very, um, let's say like grassroots type of way. And then always for us, even till today, we've always had a very large amount of word of mouth. So over half of our customers come from current customers telling other customers. So word of mouth has been big for us. Once we were able to raise enough money, we started doing some marketing. And so that actually helps increase our growth rate. And then more recently, we've also been having employers who partner with us to promote it to their employees. And so Walgreens is an example of a company that's partnered with us. And were their earned wage access provider for their employees. And how were you able to gain the trust of those initial like customers? Because how would I understand or get a better understanding of who was behind this service to really allow you to give more of my data to you um, and potentially reap the benefits? Because it almost sounds too good to be true, right? So how did that look like? Yeah, so we used to grind to that a lot. Of it, this this sounds too good to be true. It must be a scam, and I think like that that was something that we had to kind of face every day when we were much smaller. 
But I think one of the things that helps a lot is word of mouth. Like if someone who you know tells you that it actually works, then you can kind of get past that. And so even with my the initial people, it was because they would see me in the office, they knew exactly who I was. Um, and so it worked with them. And then over time, they would tell others and other people who were using Earnin would then tell their friends. And so I think word of mouth is like a big way to help you overcome trust issues. Today, if you would look us up on the App Store, there's like over 240,000 app reviews. It's about 4.7 stars. And so there's other ways for people to know that you can trust a particular entity. So I think it's kind of interesting how you see over time, like through the App Store is a way to get trust. But technology actually lets trust scale in a really interesting way. I mean, 15 years ago, you'd been afraid to get inside someone's car, right? But today, everyone does that with Uber and Lyft. And so I think like technology has ways to make trust scale. Yeah, it's funny that you bring that up. I remember taking my grandparents on their first Uber and mm-hmm. it was the most interesting experience for them. Like my grandpa just got on the front and he was just like, he turned to the cab driver and literally it was like, so what else do you do? Like asking him all about his life. So you're right. Things have changed so much <laughs> in the past 10 years. Right. Um, you have never been advised to get into a stranger's car previously, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, kind of now, now we've figured out how to get um, to a different level of trust. Yeah. And can you talk a bit more about like different features that you have available on your app? Like, you know, like the balance shield, uh, financial calendar, and like the tip yourself. How has that evolved? And were some insights that you had from your customers to, to make those a reality? Yeah. So what balance shield does is it helps our customers stay away from overdraft fees. What it can do is it can send you an alert when your bank balance falls below a threshold that you set. And it can also automatically transfer your wages from your accrued earnings into your checking account and can basically be like a top-up for your checking account. The way we came to that was we noticed that many of our customers, in spite of having access to our product, were still getting overdraft fees. And quite often it was because they didn't know when their bank balance was changing. So sometimes a check posts at an unexpected time, there's a subscription that shows up, and you didn't really know it was going to post on a certain date. So your bank balance changes. And you don't always know where your bank um, balance is. And that works to the bank's advantage because they can charge you overdraft fees. And what we're trying to do is help you um, have that information. And so you, as the consumer, can decide whether you should cut back your spending or you should move your wages into your bank account. And so that was Balance Shield. Tip Yourself is a way for us to help our customers actually put money aside. And so what our customers do is they usually set some amount that they want to be taken out of every paycheck and then put aside. And then quite often what they're doing, interestingly, is like making sure they have enough money for rent, making sure they have enough money for their car payment. But it's really like a very automated savings mechanism. And the other feature that we have that we're just beginning to roll out is called Earn Express, where we're letting our customers get their paycheck in their bank account up to two days early. And so there's some archaic ways in which the payment system works that we're able to squeeze some efficiencies out and get the money into their bank account early. And I, I can only imagine the impact that you guys have on customers that you're working with. Um, how does it look like when you're working with a Walgreens or a large like corporate player like that? You mentioned the set of features. And is there anything that's tailored specific to the needs of these companies? Have you had any customization asks? What has your relationship been like and the feedback loop look like with these players? Yeah, so I think generally like the needs of their employees are very similar to the needs of our entire customer base. And so the product fits really well for them. In the cases where we do any customization, it's usually in the form of a co-brand. 
So we don't actually change the functionality, but we may put partners branding in some cases. Got it. Got it. And what percentage of your users would you say at the moment are through these co-brand opportunities versus that original base that you've had beforehand? So I'd say a majority are from the direct-to-consumer side. With the direct-to-consumer model, you can go to small businesses very easily. We have employees from about 100,000 companies that have less than 20 employees. And if you think of it like if you were in a model that was only going to go through employers, it's kind of unfair to the small businesses because a business would never put in all the effort to get a contract in place, to do any kind of partnership work with a business that has five or 10 employees. And so that leaves out all the small businesses. But with us having a direct-to-consumer model, it actually is inclusive for small businesses. And so we have a lot of small business employees. We also have a lot of public sector employees. Think of government employees, school teachers. Um, All of those would be really difficult to get a partnership with or get any kind of data exchange with. Um, But our product works for all of them as well. That's awesome. And sometimes it's also like these small businesses that are also cash-strapped themselves. Yeah. Also, I mean, if you didn't have a direct-to-consumer path for them, they would actually be at a disadvantage because Walmart acquired a company called Even. They're giving their employees access to pay early. And if the only way to do this was to partner with another company, they would basically put every small business at a disadvantage. So you've been around for a decade now. Do you want to share any insights on the impact that you've had on customers? Quite clearly, this is a service that is needed that helped folks not only save money, but have the cognitive ease of like paying their bills on time and so knowing that they, they can keep the lights on. But what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, so we've given people access to over $10 billion of their pay ahead of payday. And it's, I think, had... Um, a really positive impact on our customers. There's just lots of stories that come to mind. One area is like our, our product is very community-centric where people um, can tip to support the product. We've had over 40 million thank you messages go from one member to another when someone's been able to help somebody else out. And this whole feeling of, this whole concept of people helping people is actually spilled out in the real world as well. During COVID, we created this group called Helpin on Facebook for our community members to help each other out. And it was just amazing to see the way in which people were helping each other. It was a lady in Florida who posted a thank you note on the helping group, thanking another customer, Richard, who was a plumber, for helping her out. And he was at home, didn't have much work. And so he offered to help her out. He went and he fixed her sink. And then there was another lady in um, Georgia who had a similar issue. And she wanted to know if there's any plumbers close to her. And Richard, the plumber from Florida, said he would drive over and help fix her issue. And so four of our customers pulled together, paid for his gas. When he went there, he had to stay overnight because he needed to buy parts. And so another set of customers paid for his hotel room. And so it was like just amazing to watch how the community was coming together to help somebody out. And this was in the middle of COVID when a lot of people were on unemployment. Um, and so we saw that. We saw people helping each other like sign up for unemployment benefits because it was tough and the state systems were coming down at that time. And so there's just lots of stories around that. We also save our customers about a billion dollars a year in overdraft fees. And so you take that, you also take that, we've seen that um, wages tend to go up once someone starts using Onin. Um, and so there's definitely like people are much better off after using Onin than they were previously. And the part about like wages going up is so interesting. One of the common use cases for Onin is people use us to buy gas. And so my customers typically fill gas $5 to $10 at a time. They don't want to lock up $50 in their gas tank. 
And then if something happens during the week, they run out of money, they can't buy gas, and then can't go to work. And so if you're not going to work, then your attendance is worse. You're not getting paid. But with our app, you can basically download the previous day's money, buy gas, and then go into work. And so we see attendance go up and we see incomes go up as well. That's so fascinating. An insight that I can't forget about. I, I grew up in New York City, so we had the subway. Mm-hmm. I would say, like, I love the subway because for two seventy five you can go anywhere, right? Now it's a bit more expensive. Back in the day, it was even better. But one thing that I, I remember reading is like so many people go into debt to fix their cars, right? Because in the suburbs in rural America, you, that's the only way to like get places. So. That's a really interesting insight that you have as well. I was curious if you can talk a bit more about the innovation that you'd want and certain trends that you've seen for your customer base. Like you mentioned, the world of overdraft fees itself is also has changed or many more people have identified it as predatory. And therefore, you know, the past few years have looked a lot different than I'm sure the past decade. But are there any other insights that you'd like to share with our listeners around What's changing for your community members? I, mean, so I think you're beginning to see overdraft fees change. There's banks are now beginning to drop their overdraft fees. Um, and I think quite a bit of that may be spurred by competition and the need to stay competitive and the realization that there are now alternatives to overdraft. But I think if you just look across the space, you do see that the way the system is set up, it's kind of unfair towards someone who's struggling. Another one that I think like all of us can see how it connects to us is just with cards. And so typically my customers are ones who are not so well off. They get debit cards. They don't have credit cards. No one gives them credit cards. And so they're primarily spending off debit cards. People who are well off are spending off credit cards and they will get cashback rewards and they get like they get rewards for spending on it. And it's so interesting to see how that plays out because debit cards are generally less expensive for the merchant. Credit cards are more expensive for the merchant. And so the merchant knows that he has some customers, lower income customers who come with a debit card and maybe it costs him half a percent on them and it costs him 2% for the wealthier customers. And he can't charge different amounts for a loaf of bread. So he marks up everything by 1%. So the person who's spending on a credit card actually gets a deal and that helps fund their, their rewards. But the premium for that is being paid by the lower income people. And so if you have a credit card, and you're getting rewards. In a way, your rewards are being funded by someone who could not get a credit card and was being charged more than what their cost was. Um, so it's kind of like just to see how the system is kind of set up in a way in which it kind of moves money from the people who are actually struggling to the people who have um, a lot of money. Um, so I think we'll see with technology just more and more of that, I think, breaking down. One of the things that I think we'll also see is just a move from batch to continuous. And so you've seen this across a whole bunch of different industries, right? I mean, there was a time when people would write letters and then when you could send messages, short messages immediately, you move to text. The people don't go back to text. You see that with video as well. Like everybody used to watch TV on the cable company schedule. Now when it's become easy to send movies and shows to an individual screen whenever the person wants it, you move to streaming, you're not going to go back to the cable company schedule. And in a way, that's what's happening with payroll as well. Through earned wage access, you can access your pay whenever you want you're not forced to stay on your employer's um, pay schedule. And I think we'll see a movement towards that more and more where the employees want to choose when they get paid. And they're not going to be forced to their employer's pay cycle. Yeah, I'd like to pivot the conversation more to you. Clearly, you've spent a decade working with Ernan, and but you had such a rich career beforehand. So 
can you share a bit more about like your earlier career and what you had worked on before working on this? Yeah, so prior to Onion, I was um, at another company that was also doing financial services to the same customer segment. What we were doing was helping customers who were primarily going to check cashers with paper checks and giving them a way to get their pay electronically onto a Visa card, and then they could spend it. And so it's a category that's now known as prepaid cards or payroll cards. And if you think of what was happening then, I mean, this still happens now to a good extent, is many banks don't give people, uh, well, and blacklist people from getting checking accounts. So there's a group of customers who find it very difficult to open a checking account, but they still work. And when they're working, they get paid by a paper check. And then you, they take the paper check, go to a check cash, the check cashier charges them a fee to get money, and they're spending off cash, which is also really difficult to do today. Um, and so what we were able to do is give everybody a Visa card and give them a way to send their direct deposit onto that Visa card. And through that, I think like one is I got to understand the customer really well, got to understand how the system doesn't work for them. It also made me realize that this customer has few, if any, good options. And it doesn't need to be that way. Like you can build good products for them, but most people seem to find it easy to look to profit off them first rather than try to make a product that works for them. And you seem to be very much into this mission of working for this market. You know, what, what keeps you motivated? Because I'm sure when you first began scaling earning, it was a difficult space to be in. So what's kept you motivated all of these years? I think the biggest thing is definitely the stories that I hear from our customers about how it's helped them out in tough times. And like every story is different. And like people are quite often in very tough situations. And it's because of the way the world works, but it doesn't have to be that way. And so when we give people access to their money, they can quite often get out of it. But there's just so many stories of some of them, particularly due to COVID, where, where people evicted from their apartments, went into a hotel and would have been out of the hotel as well if they couldn't have access to their pay. We see stories of people who used to celebrate birthdays and anniversaries on payday instead of on the actual day. Um, with their own wage acts, they can actually do it on the right day. Another story that comes to mind is a customer who, she works at retail and there's different type of retail jobs. And one of the retail jobs actually requires you to go from branch to branch to branch. And so that's a better paying job but also needs her to be out the gas money till she gets reimbursed by her employer. And so the first time she was offered that promotion, she couldn't take it because she couldn't front the money. And the next time she got it, she could take it because she was using Onion. And so there's so many of these stories that kind of keep everybody out here motivated. What lessons were you able to take from your previous positions to help you build the company? I think it's always to think of like the customer first and see what works for the customer. It's very easy to slip into the more like, what is the profit angle? But in the long run, the interest of the customer and the interest of the company are always the same. You're so passionate about this customer base, and I, I absolutely love that. I wish our listeners could see how you brighten up when you were talking about the stories. Um, mm-hmm. but there's still so much right to be done for this market and for this like, for your customer base. What keeps you excited about fintech in particular, and how financial services could change to better serve this demographic? Yeah, well, I think financial services is still quite backward. And so there's a lot of work to do. If you just think of it like money is largely digital today, right? Like most people are paying off a card. The digital form of money is the only thing that is digital, which is slower and more expensive to move than the physical one. Like if I gave you $100 today, you would have it. But if I paid you by card, you'd get it in two days and someone along the way would take off 2%. And so it's kind of like, it's so interesting that the digital version is slower and more expensive than the physical version. Um, And so that's kind of like backwards. And so I think like, well, 
we'll see more and more changes where I think capabilities and functionality of digital money should be far in excess of what we have with paper money. And we're not yet there. And, you know, I, I know that we're running out of time, but I greatly appreciate your time. And I wanted to end with one last question. Usually we end the episode with something that will, you know, reveal your interests, your personality. I've heard you're interested in crypto, very on trend as I <laughs> um, But what are your thoughts about the future of crypto? One of the things that I think a lot about is actually a central bank digital currency. So what if the government made a digital currency and just think of how that would change the world? Well, if they ran the digital currency, you don't need all of the banks that are intermediaries trying to like keep ledgers like the central bank's infrastructure becomes the ledger for the entire country. And what does that do to the banking system? Like you don't need most of the banking system when you have a central bank digital currency. It also makes monetary policy so much more precise. Today, when the government wants to inject money, they try to do something. They're not exactly sure how it's going to play out. But if you had a central bank digital currency, it would be so much more precise in how you could provide money to people who meet certain criteria, with certain frequency. It's very clean and it's so efficient. Like today, we see this unemployment. People call up that phone line so much to figure out where they're going to get paid. Stimulus, people may get it electronically once, and then maybe the next time it comes out by paper check. All of that inefficiency goes away with the digital currency. And so I think that is um, it's a really interesting place to be. And there's a really tough path to get there because of the way the system is set up. Lots of the incumbents will fight any change to a digital currency. That's an awesome take. Well, thank you so much, Ram. It was such a pleasure to have you on the show and to learn more about Erdin. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. If you love our show, please write us a review or engage with us on social media. We greatly appreciate your support and helps us spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Medium at Warren Fintech. Here you'll access interviews, articles, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. As always, a very special thank you to our wonderful editor, Rafael Ostria. Until next time, your host, Gabby.